Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Once more, it's Kingdom Cast's podcast, where we deliver in under two hours, or your pizza is free. <laughs> Joining us once again is Sandra Shrimp Cocktail Swindle. Hey! <laughs> I'm Stan Daniel. With me, as always, is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. You remember on, I can't remember if it was the last podcast or the podcast before, where Sandra was talking about the, the Fender's Omnibus. Yes. And the special cover. Then she was referencing you and she couldn't remember your name. I remembered his name. I was just distracted. But they had a third cover that Jorge Molina did. Holy cow. That's that is an amazing cover. But other than that, there's not really anything I, I can recommend picking. And, uh, <laughs> you mean well, that we haven't already picked? <laughs> The only other one I was going to suggest was the the epic collection that um, that um, my name Albert. Albert. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still looking at this Defenders cover. Uh, all Namer fans should have this cover. Well, the yeah, glory, the glory of the Jorge Molina. Defenders cover. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, neither Albert nor I had the Jorge Molina Defenders cover called up at that moment. So <laughs> I was staring at it right there. <laughs> yeah. When I was editing the podcast, I thought to myself, I thought, that's really unlike Sandra to completely forget Albert's name. <laughs> so I called up that cover, Sandra. <laughs> That's right. And if y'all want to see what garnered so much of her attention, just look at the cover to this week's podcast. <laughs> oh, you didn't, did you? Do you think Namor stuffs his trunks with a conch shell? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> he grabbed a nearby eel right before Jorge painted that. <laughs> The entire body of Namer and face was awesome in that picture. And also Valkyrie. Yeah. He did a very good job on Valkyrie, too. I didn't even notice Valkyrie. <laughs> what? <laughs> you couldn't notice Valkyrie. Namor's codpiece was in the way. <laughs> there was a lot more than just the, the, the swimming trunks. Uh, trust me. I showed Denise the picture, and Denise said, wow, this guy really likes Namor, doesn't he? <laughs> no, he's an artist who actually understands that that's how Namor should be drawn and oh, portrayed yeah. every single time. These other people that aren't drawing him like that, yeah. they, they just don't get the, the character. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, to emphasize what Sandra is talking about, we're not showing the whole picture. We're just showing what? a certain section of it. Lord have mercy. You need to show the whole picture. He's no, gorgeous. You don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Find the whole picture, people. He's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Not just the swimming trunk. So the swimming trunks were impressive. (laughs) Well, okay. Last week, we went ahead and posted the Godzilla versus King Kong movie review situation because Albert had hurt his foot. Albert, how is your foot? It's fine today. Good, 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 good. So we didn't get around to recording the comic book reviews. And we've gotten so many questions on two or three situations in particular. What we're going to do this week, we're going to give a real quick review on three comics. The three, what we think are the big three biggest comics to come out last week. Geiger by... (laughs) Are you staring at that cover? (laughs) Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Thank you. Geiger by Jeff Johns and Gary Franks. Jesus. I know. And Venom number 34 and King in Black number five, both of which are written by Donny Cates because that closed out the whole run of the King in Black event last week. Other than a few stragglers which come out this week, I believe Namor is one and Black Cat is another one. The issues that just kind of wrap things up for the King in Black series. We've gotten a lot of questions on that. We've got a few questions on the latest episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. So we're just going to dive right into it. You need to read Venom number 34 before you read King in Black number five. It sets you up for a couple of situations. And again, spoiler alert, we're going to get right into this. The big reveal of Venom number 34 is at the end, you see Flash Thompson's tombstone, the symbiote, or a symbiote, seeping into the grave, and then Flash Thompson's hand rising from the grave. Albert Chuck sent in an email asking, so is the symbiote that brings back Flash Thompson Venom. Did Venom leave Eddie and Eddie get the King and Black symbiote? Can anyone clear this up for me? In the book, it's his anti-Venom suit. It's the anti-Venom? Or part of it because he's a dragon. His consciousness is in that dragon and then he crashes down into the grave or the cemetery. Okay, so that answers it. Okay, so Flash's consciousness was in the anti-Venom dragon. Yeah, because that cemetery is like everything else. It's just covered in symbiote gunk. So there, that would clear it up. So that makes sense. That would make better sense if his consciousness was in the symbiote dragon or the anti-Venom dragon or whatever that was and crashed down on the uh, grave site and is bringing him back. I never understand how hands are just able to come up out of dirt because traditionally, aren't you like put in a coffin and then inside of a concrete container where they bury you? Concrete container? Ever been to a funeral center? I don't remember anything about a concrete container. Yeah, some people yeah. use big, sometimes they're, I guess they're metal sometimes too. Yeah. You'll have the coffin and then you'll have the thing that the coffin goes in, which is a, I guess, a larger coffin, really. Yeah, it's to keep the dirt, it's to keep the coffin from. I don't know, dissolving so easily or something. You don't have to have that. I think some people just do that. Okay. I didn't know what the typical tradition was. I just remember at my grandparents' funeral, both of their funerals, that's what it was. There was a concrete container already in the ground that they were lowered into before the dirt was put on top of them. I'm just getting cremated. Me too. Yeah. I don't want to take up space or anything. I'm not going to die. (laughs) Even better, right? (laughs) I didn't know that was an option, but okay. So, Chuck, I think Albert has the answer. I think that's it. While we're on the subject of Venom number 34, Sandra, did you read it? No. (laughs) No. Albert, did you? You read it. 
Yeah, I read it twice. I thought the whole event was very good. If I was writing this after this run, I would just undo all this in like two issues. But I thought it was great. Well, I don't know what would be undone in it because clearly you're bringing Flash Thompson back. Flash is back. Eddie's back. Captain Universe is back or whatever. Well, or Captain Light or whatever they want to call it. Captain Universe did his usual thing in King and Black. Let's get to our major question about King and Black number five. Okay. There's some bleeping that I'll be doing through this. So someone explain to me how the f- Venom is worthy a millionaire. Don't give me that Captain Planet bullshit either, Evan. <laughs> it's not Captain Planet. It's Captain Universe, Evan. <laughs> It's not that Venom is worthy of Millionaire. It's not that Eddie Brock is worthy of Millionaire. Two things are going on here. Donny Cates pointed this out himself over his Twitter feed. The two things that are relevant here is Eddie Brock is joined with the Captain Universe, the God of Light, in order to defeat the King in Black. He did not lift Thor's hammer. He summoned Thor's hammer from Thor's hand. The second part of this is recently in Thor... Because of Thor doubting himself and some other interference going on, anybody can lift the hammer currently. We saw a gas station attendant lift the hammer. Who is writing that crap? That's Donnie Cates, and it's really, really good. It makes sense. Yeah. It works. It, it's His fine. His runs great. You should read yeah. it. It's it got re- Namor in it. Yes, it does. Doesn't. <laughs> well, I guess you're going to have to read it to find out, Sandra. Oh, God, I know. I keep track. Namor was the only one that couldn't lift the hammer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's because of the hammer he had in his pants. That's why. So, <laughs> I was about to say, what do you think of in those swimming trucks? <laughs> One hammer's enough. Jeez. Yeah, this is just lovely. <laughs> Penis. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anybody can lift Thor's hammer currently because there's some weird juju going on between Thor and the hammer. Those two factors played into the fact that Eddie was able to summon it. But only with the Captain Universe power was he able to mold the hammer and Silver Surfer's board, which Silver Surfer gave up to him upon his arrival. He was able to meld Thor's hammer and the board together to make a giant battle axe, which he ultimately... God. Killed the king in black in. Admittedly, I thought the ending just went way over the top. But if you're willing to accept the Captain Universe properties that we've seen happen before, it wasn't that much of an ask to accept what was going on here. There was a lot of payoff in here, especially for Venom fans. It was enjoyable. It was fun. We didn't see a ready end to the situation, so it did come on rather quick. But at the end of the last issue of King in Black, once the Silver Surfer showed up with the Captain Universe powers that he delivered to Eddie, we kind of figured what was coming. We knew something like this was coming. It was a lot of over-the-top comic book satisfaction. I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's just a big, dumb superhero comic, and that's the way they treated it. But but it's very well written. Yeah, this was the best event they've had in a while. It really is. Between Marvel and DC, this is the best event comic they've uh, either one of them's had in quite a while. Yeah, I wasn't going to necessarily go there, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Sandra, did you read King in Black number five? That bar is so low, it's like underwater. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but I really... As someone this was who, enjoyable. I mean, this plot is dumb as hell, but that's fine because it's 
executed fantastically. It's not dumb like the Avengers plot with oh, the Phoenix. God. Oh. <laughs> At least all the characters were true to themselves. Yeah, like everything lines up. And I mean, Lord, it's Venom and he's the God of Light, Eddie Brock of all people. But the way we get there through his Venom run, that Silver Surfer mini he did and everything, it, it all lines up and makes sense and it all works very well. He's been spending years in all the books he's been writing except for I think the Doctor Strange book trying to pay off this business. It, um, well, I thought it did. I thought the payoff was great. I thought there was going to be more to it than there was. I had larger expectations, I guess. But I haven't been reading all of his well, the, the, the way it works in all these big event books, once the villain has taken over the universe or the Earth, the only thing left for the, the good guys to do is just beat them in a fight. Yeah. It's just how are they going to beat them in a fight? And that's the, All the events are set up like that. The best way an event actually handled the bad guy takes over all reality situation or that trope is, in my opinion, Infinity Gauntlet by Jim Starlin. Because the first issue starts with Thanos is one and there's absolutely not a damn thing anybody anywhere can do about it. Yeah. But it's from issue one forward that you just go through Jim Starlin's ideological discussion on ultimate power, ultimate nihilism, so on and so forth. It went exactly where you expected it to go, and then it took a left turn. Then at the end of it, the resolution was not quite what you expected either. So that was the only one that has successfully pulled off something that was surprising. Infinity Gauntlet had that going for it. I thought it was somewhat surprising. Well, that was when they had well-written events, not the crap they throw together now. Well, even then, the Infinity Gauntlet was something that Starlin had always wrote Thanos, so it was just sort of the yeah a continuation of all his Thanos stuff. There mm-hmm. was a buildup there in Silver Surfer. The, yeah, even without the Infinity Gauntlet stuff and Silver Surfer, there was still a buildup to there simply because it was Starlin's character and he had always wrote them. Yeah, there was a lot of similar feel in what Cates did with Venom and the uh, King and Black over the last three, four years, especially. Yeah. I thought it paid off. Yeah, the good guys win. A couple of deaths are retconned. Okay, that's fine. It's still worth it. I still say it was both issues or pull it, pull it, pull it. Yeah, pull it. This is pull. I have a question. The important thing to me, did Namor and the black tie, the Cthulhu-influenced characters that he resurrected, did they do anything in this stupid event? Well, they're doing it in his comic book, in the Namor comic book. Oh, Lord. I thought for sure that they would be doing something in the event itself. No, not really. Same with the Avengers. Like, the next Avengers issue is King and Black tie-in. I think there's maybe two pages in this book that talks about Blade and some vampires, and that's it. Yeah, what about the vampires? Did the vampires have anything to do with this? Well, they did, but Blade, when everything went haywire, Blade beat them. (laughs) Yeah. The God of Light just sort of made them thrive with light. Yeah, that's what my thing was. They made this big deal about we got to have these things that can fight in the dark. So Namor goes and resurrects these horrible things and and Blade goes and makes a deal with the vampires. And I'm like, what major role are these two going to play in this? Well, the next. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The next issue of Avengers, I think, covers that. Avengers? Yeah. At the end of Avengers, it says the next issue is a King and Black tie-in. 
Oh, and okay. Namor is yeah. in the cover of the next one. I forgot about that. And with that's probably what it is. Well, wow. there you go. So go there, on. yeah. So there's some cleanup to do with the Namor comic and the Avengers comic and Black Cat's comic. Did they all read that trash that was Avengers this week? <sighs> yeah, I'm just going to say, Shelby. The Avengers 45 cover is Blade with little man thing on his shoulder, Namor, and a bunch of vampires. Oh, good. So Sandra gets Namor and Man Thing. My God, Jason Aaron, please leave him alone. <laughs> I thought at least Donny Cates was going to write it in the event, but I guess not. That's not man So thing. what you're telling me is that Blade has his man thing over his shoulder. No, he has his <laughs> thing over his shoulder. You see, now I've got to edit that. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what they that- call it, isn't it? Well, they don't call it man thing. Never mind about the joke, Sandra. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just move along the Geiger or something. <laughs> just moving right along. Oh, as, as far as as far as King in Black, I'm shelving it. Uh not shelving it, scanning it. Is that what no, what is it? Yeah. What's the middle one? Browsing. Browsing. Browsing it, looking for the impertinent stuff, but no. Okay. Albert and I insist you buy Venom number 34 and King in Black number five. Sandra says that you can just browse it. Don't believe Sandra, kids. She's just mad over this whole Namor thing. I am. It's been a very disappointing week. Let's talk a little bit about Image Comics, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank's Geiger that came out. We wanted to cover that because this is the first time in a long time that Jeff has done a creator stuff. So, Albert, what did you think of Geiger? Geiger takes place before, during, and after a nuclear war. The present day is years after the bombs, but they cover all the nukes getting dropped everywhere. The plot is that there's a guy that's running around in the desert who doesn't have to wear a, a hazmat suit or nuclear suit or whatever and he can almost superhero like he can he can sort of turn into i guess if you've seen dr phosphorus and batman it's very similar to that this entity somehow imbued with superpowers from the nuclear fallout and apparently he's protecting whatever's left in the bomb shelter i thought it was a good first issue it's a good setup well i mean they they do a good job of establishing the world that they're in and whatnot and it's helped immensely by gary frank yeah it really is yeah Gary Frank brings a lot to this book. In fact, I would say Gary Frank probably does most of the heavy lifting in this issue. Yeah, I have to say that one panel, there's a two-headed dog in this this book. And there's one panel where he's feeding the dog. And of course, he has two dishes out for the two-headed dog to eat. And I thought, yeah, you have to do that. That just makes sense. That was perfect. That was perfect. <laughs> As someone who has two dogs, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> not joined, but. <laughs> There's a whole lot of apocalyptic books out there, and I keep. Our listeners have heard me before go on about how much I, I dislike all of these different apocalyptic books. But on this one, because it's Jeff Johns and I really did like Gary Frank's artwork in it, I'd at least, at the very least, browse it. But I would say pull it. Yeah, I'd say pull it as well. It, yeah, it's I'd, Jeff Johns. So. I'd say pull it, too, because there's also a swerve about two thirds of the way through. That's true. Which I don't. I don't know if we should spoil it or not. That I did no. not expect. Um, no, no, so. no. Don't don't spoil it for the people that haven't got it yet. Because mm-hmm. all three of us think you should pull Geiger. I think issue number one promises more than you're going to get out of this initial issue. Yeah. Jeff Johns typically delivers on his promises, and Gary Frank, you can't go wrong with the artwork. So definitely pull Geiger number one from Image Comics. Before we go on, I did want to mention one thing because I, I meant to put this on our pull list thing last time and I didn't. It, it slipped my mind probably because 
because I was looking at a cover. cover. But anyway, speaking of dogs, Beasts of Burden has come out with another miniseries called Occupied Territory. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Beasts of Burden, but it's written by Evan Dorkin. And this one has a couple artists, including Benjamin Dewey, who, besides doing King in Black, he also did Autumn Lands with Kurt Busiek, which is a fantastic read. I recommend it. He's great with animals. So this is, again, I'd say talking animals. If you're familiar with Beasts of Burden, you'll understand what it is, but it's it's with dogs. But it takes place in World War II or around post-World War II. It's historical. I recommend that. Okay, excellent. The pedigree on it is is definitely inviting. I'll look into that too. Pull Beast of Burdens. For me, yes. If you like dogs, yeah. and if you're familiar with the first one, which was I thought was excellent. Before we go on with the rest of the email, which gets into some other situations, some other stuff we're going to talk about, Falcon and Winter Soldier, let's go ahead and make our recommendations. Do y'all mind if I start off this week? No. Yeah, go ahead. My first recommendation for your pull list this week is very predictable on my part. Thor number 14. It's the finale to the storyline called Prey, where Donald Blake, the entity of Donald Blake, had been forgotten and neglected and has escaped and been going around and killing and destroying anybody that had ever picked up the hammer or held the title of Thor. So we reached the finale this week, and that's also written by Donnie Cates with outstanding artwork by Nick Klein on it. This has been a powerful little storyline. Very inter- This is high-end Thor stuff. Donnie Cates is a perfect match for Thor. So I highly recommend Thor number 14. My second recommendation, I'm going in blind on, but not completely blind because it's written by Chip Zdarsky and it has art by Pascal Ferry. And that's going to be What If Spider-Man, Spider's Shadow. This whole run of the This Spider-Man limited series deals with what if Peter Parker had become Venom? And normally I would say, okay, look, that's that's an interesting what if issue for a one-time one-shot comic. But with Chip Zdarsky behind the wheel on this, he's got an angle. He's definitely going to have some sort of angle or unique take on it. This is under the what if line of comics. I'm looking forward to this. What if Peter Parker became Venom? Pascal Ferry's art always always delivers. And on my third recommendation for the week, it comes from Image Comics. It's Carmen number two, written and drawn by Aguilia March. The first issue of Carmen was out there. It completely and totally defies normal comic book expectations. Gillen March does both the art and the writing on this comic book. He has a wonderful story going here. The characters are enigmatic enough that you can't get a full read on exactly what's going on, which makes you want to come back for each of the issues. And I am, I've been very much looking forward to issue number two, and that hits this week as well. So that's Carmen number two by Gillen March from Image Comics. Those are going to be my three pull list recommendations for you. My two risk picks are going to be The Joker number two, written by James Tynion IV. Gillum March does the art in it also. Now, I'm using it as a risk pick because a lot of you out there are tired of The Joker. However, like Albert and I said when we reviewed number one, the way you make a Joker book work is you actually make it about Commissioner Gordon. That's what's going on. You're following Commissioner Gordon in this. This is not your standard Joker story. 
story. I've looked forward to it delivering. I really do think it's going to deliver. I believe it's also got a punchline backup story that the art is done by Mirka Andolfo. Wasn't so hot on the punchline backup story for the first issue, but I'll definitely be paying closer attention to it with Mirka Andolfo's art. My first risk pick for you again is The Joker number 2 from DC Comics. My second risk pick for you is Phantom on the Scan, and that's from Aftershock Comics. Sounds like a very standard comic book start. The blurb reads, 20 years ago, a comet fell to Earth. Since that night, Matthew has been haunted by a spirit that gives him credible psychic abilities, but these abilities come with a price and payment is due. The reason I'm picking this as a risk pick for the week is because Cullen Bunn is writing it. Mark Torres is a solid artist, but I'm mostly picking it because Cullen Bunn's past work. I think this should be an interesting read. So that's the Phantom on the Scan from Aftershock Comics number one hitting this Wednesday as well. And those are my picks for your pull list and risk picks this week. My first pick is Maniac of New York number three. It's been a fairly solid book with the I guess New York version of Jason Voorhees that just sort of shows up and kills everyone and no one can find them. No one knows where he's at. No one can stop him. I was real iffy on the first issue, but the second issue I really enjoyed. It's fair to say that that is, for all matters and purposes, Jason Voorhees. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, they just can't tell. It's just Yeah, Yeah, it is a solid book, though. I'm sure there's supposed to be deeper meaning and metaphors and everything in the book, but but the writer ain't quite got that nailed down. But either way, it's still a great book. My second pick of the week is The Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries, Part 1 of 12, a limited series. It's a all-ages book. It's saying, yes, all-new, all-ages book. The mystery is that Batman's purple gloves have gone missing. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a fun book, so I can't, I can't fault for it. Those would be the purple gloves that Batman was shown wearing in Detective Number Twenty Seven, correct? Yes, it's, it's supposed to be his purple gloves, and they it yep. says there's time travel where they go back to the Batman Year One era to, to solve the case. Good pick. It does seem like a good pick. I had considered it myself, yes. Actually, I was going to pick nothing but crime books, but Stan took the Joker. So, <laughs> And all my main picks were going to be Batman-based stuff, but Stan took the Joker. My third pick of the week is Batman the Detective, part one of six, written by Tom Taylor and art by Mr. Andy Kubert. It's a new miniseries. I think it takes place in Europe. Like I said, Tom Taylor with Andy Kubert who draws a fantastic background. It's not really any form or fashion of wrist pick at all. whole lot of variant covers this book, too, apparently. And for my wrist picks, the first one is issue one of Miki Woodcock, the girl who electrified Tesla. I also thought of that, too. I just didn't, for some reason... I'm glad yeah, you did that. It's written and drawn by Cynthia Von Bueller. These hard case crime comics, I've read some of them. This is, the, I think, the second Mindy Woodcock book. I think the first one was called, like, The Girl Who Handcuffed or Arrested Houdini or something like that. I didn't read that one, but I really, really like crime comics. A lot of that has to do with Brubaker, which I'll get to in a second. So I'll give this a shot. It seems like a fun little book. It's pretty much a, a gumshoe sleuth-type book. And involves Tesla. And my second risk pick for people who have never read it is Criminal Deluxe Edition Volume 1 hardcover. And they've done these before, but this is a new printing of it. It's 432 pages. It gets the first three trade paperbacks worth of Criminal. And it's art by Sean Phillips, who's a longtime Ed Brubaker collaborator. And it's a great book. So if you're looking for sort of a 
a really good crime book. And if you read any of Brubaker stuff and like it, I highly suggest getting this one. Well, it should be no surprise that I'm picking Ian Black Namer number five, which is sadly the last issue in this miniseries that Kurt Busiek is writing. Benjamin Dewey and Johannes Sharp are doing the art on. And hopefully it will have some actual tie-in to the event since they didn't really appear in the event. Busiek is making some very powerful villains here for Namer that have a Lovecraftian tinge. And I'd like to see them being used, if not in King and Black and something else afterwards. There should be some fallout in that. And then my second pick will be finally, finally they're going to put out a Submariner Epic Collection. Now, if you're not familiar with the Epic Collections, they kind of replace those old black and white, what the heck did they call them? You know what I'm talking about, Albert. The black and white collections they had. Oh, the Essentials. Yeah, yeah, the Essentials. But these are in color. It took them forever to get Namer's Essential out, and they only did one. They're finally coming out with an Epic, which will be the color. It's kind of like a color version of two of the Marvel Masterworks, except this first one is going to have all of the early Namer stuff. You know, if I have a Marvel Masterworks, usually it just has Submariner issue number one or whatever the first Silver Age series that they had. But this one is actually going to go back and start with his first Silver Age appearance. Well, actually all of his Silver Age appearances outside of his book, which is Fantastic Four, 4, 6, 9, 14, 27, 33, and the first annual. The two Strange Tales stories, Avengers 3 and 4, X-Men 6, the classic Daredevil 7, and then finally it's going to go into his series, which was Tales to Astonish 70 through 76. I wish they had this before because, I mean, I've had to buy... Fantastic Four Marvel Masterworks, The Strange Tales Marvel Masterworks, and The Avengers Marvel Masterworks to get these issues. And you're going to have it all together in one package. So go out and buy this. It'll be awesome. My third pick is Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number four. So those are my picks. Now, my... uh, Risk picks? Yes, my risk picks. Thank you. My risk picks are the Lock and Key Sandman crossover. I did not know they were doing this, and it looks interesting, and I love that guy's art, Rodriguez. I'm going to try that. Al Ewing is going to revamp or start a big new arc with a new team or an expanded team of Guardians of the Galaxy with number 13, with Doctor Doom joining Guardians of the Galaxy. So I figured, what the heck? No, Doom does not join the team. The team simply does what Doom tells them to do. There you go. Because in order to join a team, that means on some level, these people are equal to Doom, and that's not real. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is true. That is true. I agree. I'm agreeing. Well, he's going to be on the book. Let's put it that way. I don't know about the team, but he's going to be on the book. The book will be called Doctor Doom and the Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, in that it's sort of like when before Marvel Marvel canceled G.I. Joe, they called it Snake Eyes and G.I. Joe. Yeah. And you had Snake Eyes in huge letters. <laughs> and G.I. Joe was just this little bitty sub bar on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so those, what they did. No, they did. I recall. I recall that. I mean, crystal clarity. I remember that. So those are your pull list picks and your risk picks. Right, Sandra? Yes. Your titty would be proud of you. Turkish delight. Irresistible. Let's discuss a little Falcon and the Winter Soldier, shall we? Let's talk, let's talk about how John Walker did nothing wrong. Ah, I oh. agree. 
Finally, this is a Captain America I can get behind. This guy takes action. What? This man does his best to get the job done. Yeah, no apologies. Straightforward, right into it. Sandra, you disagree? Yes, I disagree. Why? Why do you hate America? America does not kill people with his shield. Yes, he does. Not not like that. You are aware that, that Steve Rogers served in World War II, right? Yes, but those people were trying to kill him. That guy was running away, and, and he was prone. He was, yeah, Captain yeah, America I, would never do that. He's yeah, part the of a terrorist organization that killed people. It was yeah, like terrorists running away. That's just the way it is. No, Captain America does not do that. Sandra, let me share a little something with you. We live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns and shields. Who's going to do it? You? You soft civilians? John Walker has a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for that flag-smashing terrorist, and you curse the new Captain America because you have the luxury of not knowing what he knows, that the flag-smasher's death saved lives, and that Cap's existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. John Walker has neither the time nor the inclination to explain himself to you while you rise and sleep under the blanket of freedom that he provides and then question the manner in which he provides it. Cap would rather you just say thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, he suggests you pick up a weapon and stand the post. Either way, John Walker the Captain America doesn't give a damn what you think you're entitled to. Well, clearly he does. <laughs> they just they they just you got done his, killing his buddy. You just see his whiny self with his when he's sitting there signing autographs and stuff. Well, no, no, he does care, and he knows he did wrong. He didn't do wrong. Did wrong. That that shield and that flag that says he didn't do wrong, Sandra. He did wrong. <laughs> The only the main people that did wrong was the Wakanda people that showed up and and got involved when they shouldn't have, which caused Zemo to escape. Yeah, they let Zemo go. (laughs) They're responsible for it because they were trying to come to an agreement on Zemo, and then they showed up and was like, "Our jurisdiction's wherever." Well, by the same token, it's it's Walker's fault. They lost the flag smashers. Because Sam was tucking her down and in bus Walker before he could get the job done. We don't talk, talk terrorists talk. Down. Yeah, yeah, we don't. We don't talk because we all know how this show is going to end. It's going to have the flag smasher woman standing out in the middle of like a town square, and someone will go. They'll never know what you lost, and they'll just let her walk free, just like they did Wanda. Ain't going to oh, happen while John Walker has God. that. <laughs> Seriously, did nobody recognize my speech? Was it like a Hitler speech or something? No, it's not like a Hitler. (laughs) Maybe I should have started it with, Sandra, you can't handle the truth. Oh, is it from that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was from A Few Good Men. That's the only line people know from that movie, and you didn't even say it. It really is. I slapped that up in a meme on a couple of pages, and the people on the Disney Plus page, they lost their crap. I got this one guy that just went on for like four or five paragraphs, just berating me about this jingoistic so on and so forth. And then finally, somebody else slammed in there and said, you really don't recognize that speech? (laughs) And posted the YouTube link. (laughs) And then he came back and said, oh. (laughs) 
Well, they're they're Disney Plus for them, people stand. I, I doubt they they watch anything but Disney Plus. Yeah, now we got a Captain America who'll take action. Get in real man. Not afraid to get his shield dirty. Well, as Bucky says, that Walker guy is crazy, and I know crazy. <laughs> that was pretty damn shocking, though, in all seriousness. It was shocking. My God, it was shocking. I mean, I knew something was coming. I just didn't know it was that. And that kind of ties into our next email. Our next email comes from Nate. And Nate asks, did John Walker chop the Flag Smashers guy's head off or just beat him in the chest? And there's a lot of controversy going on right now about what he did. The way I view it, since he did it, had to hit him multiple times, I'm assuming the chest. Yeah. Assuming he chopped his head off. Well, there's two arguments on that. As of the recording of this broadcast, Marvel was closing forums on their official sites discussing it, but they had not provided an answer, meaning they love the attention it's getting. This is free press, right? They're not saying one way or the other. Some people are saying, and I saw this, and that's what I thought when I saw it, was that it was reminiscent of the scene in Civil War where Cap is hitting Iron Man in the chest. Yeah, that's that's the way I interpreted it. So I think he was just hitting him in the chest. Other people are straight up saying that he was decapitating him. And when you go back to watch it, it's unclear enough that an argument could be made for I don't know. The camera angle looked more like a chest thing to me. Yeah, I think it's more of the chest thing, too, if I had to decide. Besides that, it's Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I would assume they may have wanted to do that originally, and someone said, how about we not decapitate people in our Disney shows? (laughs) How about we not have Captain America chop somebody's head off the show? He's not Cap. He's he's John Walker, U.S. agent. Not yet. He's not. Right now, he's Captain America, woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the MCU, he's Captain America. And there's nothing that says that he's not going to be Captain America when this is all over, either. Oh, he's not. God, knows, God knows we need him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the emails. <laughs> God bless John Walker. God save Johnny Walker. Captain America. <laughs> and thank you, Rob Reiner. <laughs> if a man like John Walker owned the job, we could make America great again. <laughs> Sandra, do you have anything to add? Would you like to tell us how much you you admire John Walker? <laughs> I'd rather talk about Zemo. How in the world could Zemo be the most reasonable character in this this series so far? Because everybody he, else are idiots. He's I'm not telling just you, reasonable. He's the smartest one. He's the, the most one. one. I mean, I'm like, holy cow! Falcon's an idiot. Bucky's an idiot. <laughs> the Wakandans are idiots. Sharon Carter's an idiot. <laughs> the Wakandans and everybody are fighting in the room, and Zemo's over in the corner with a drink. <laughs> Well, thank God there's a manhole cover in the bathroom. And he just, all he did was turn around and walk out. He didn't run. He didn't sneak. No, he, he just was like, yeah, whatever. I'm a, I'm a nope on out of here, people. I now want a Baron Zemo in Disney Plus series. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving Zemo in this so far, but I'm also kind of like, man, they are stealing Dr. Doom's stick for this. Well, this is not quite Doom. It's really not. Zemo's got a broad sense of humor. There's a bit of humor in everything he's doing in here. That's true. I don't think Dr. Doom has his sense of humor. No, no, not at, yeah, not at all. There's humor and there's, Doom has style, but Zemo's style is just sublime. Yeah. Everything he does, he's doing right in front of him. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, he's <laughs> not even the light. <laughs> yeah, he's not Brian hiding it. <laughs> And he rewarded Bucky. He gave Bucky, or, or was, yeah, no, it was Bucky. Uh, Bucky said something and he rewarded him with candy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dark series, and Z- Zemo is very much needed in this series. There is some dark stuff going on. Rune plays this to the hilt. He's enjoying yeah. the hell out of himself. Yeah. Well, he's doing a good job. I think everyone is doing a good job. And the actors, the trauma we get to see with Bucky at the beginning. Sam gets his uh, gets a chance to shine in his conversations with Carly and his sister. Walker. Uh, him, I love. And, and oh, my God, Battlestar. Why in the world did they kill that guy off? He was fantastic, too. Well, that because... Yeah, killing John Walker's parents may have been a bridge too far, but you can you can buy that Battlestar would die in the heat of battle like that because he does not have the superhero serum. By the time that battle's going on, John Walker's taken it. You've got to give something to push John Walker over the edge. Some people are arguing that Metal Star's not dead, but he seemed dead to me. Uh, he looked pretty he dead. dead. Yeah, I he hope looked- not. But yeah, he looked pretty dead to me. Yeah. yeah, he did. He did, unfortunately. The chemistry between Sam and Bucky is awesome. I, yeah, this yeah. is well worth it. I mean, we're we're talking about Baron Zemo, but the interaction between them, everybody's got their moment to shine, but the entire series rests on the shoulders of Sam and Bucky, and they do a wonderful job. I think these Disney Plus series are the best thing that's ever happened to the MCU. Oh, yeah. And the Loki stuff looks great. Well, I'm pretty sure the best thing that happened to the MCU was Robert Downey Jr., but well, okay, okay. the second best True thing enough. after Robbie Dan- Robert Downey Jr., yeah, because there would be no MCU without Robert Downey Jr. You've got Zemo strolling around in that fur collar with a dark, dark pink shirt on and that coat. I mean, they just make no apologies. They've given him his mask, they've given him everything. It just works. Mm-hmm. The whole thing just really, really works. Back to the question, Nate. I think he just went for the chest. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I that's that's, that's what I would say. This is just a very enjoyable show. They picked right on this. They've got the right momentum and the right cast. God knows they got the right cast on it. I think the young woman playing Carly does a wonderful job, too. Yeah, yeah. She, she did a good job in this one. Yeah, she very much humanizes this character. Her name's Erin Kellyman. And as we brought up before, she was in Fist Nest in the solo Star Wars movie. Yeah, she needs to die. What? <laughs> I think she is, sadly. I don't think she's going to take this lying down, what happened to her boyfriend there. Yeah, John Carter's got to take care of that. John Walker's got to take John care Carter. of that. John Carter. Sorry, he's on Mars. Well, John I, Carter, I forgot. John Carter's on Mars. We, we ain't got that far yet. I, no, no, no. They could bring John Carter into this. Disney owns that property. <laughs> that property's public domain. Well, still. <laughs> Disney did a movie. And I like that movie. I'm by that like I am the Lone Ranger. They could have done about 20 minutes worth of editing. Yeah. And it'd been a much more enjoyable film. Both that of movie, those. That movie would have done great had they cast someone other than Taylor Kitsch. That guy has no charisma. Well, okay, I'll give you that, too. He was, he, but he was the it guy for a moment. He was Gambit, remember? I, I, yeah, he didn't do good in that either. The only person, the other person I've seen just completely suck any interest out of a character is Paul Walker and Brad Pitt. I mean, Brad Pitt, especially, he has gotten some fantastic roles, fantastic characters. And I'm like, holy cow. 
I am bored beyond tears. I don't know. What yeah. did you what did you not like Brad Pitt in? I'm trying to think. Legend of the Fall. Well, yeah, but no, no, no. Uh, meet Joe Give Black. Us a real movie. <laughs> Brad Pitt is good when he's in funny movies. He was great in. He was great in Snatch, and he was great in Men Who Stare at Ghosts. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, he, he was, was okay in that, and he was good in Ocean's Eleven, I guess. And Deadpool yeah. too. Deadpool too. He was wonderful. Oh, he was an interview with a vampire. There's another one he just totally ruined. And that movie was not his fault. I like that movie. Yeah, that movie's not a bad movie. Not bad at all. Especially when you read the source material. I ain't reading I, no vampire. I read crap. the source material. And the the only good thing that came out of that movie was Antonio Banderas. I'm just sorry they didn't bring Tom Cruise back and do the movie where Lestat converted to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> did you read that book, Sandra? <laughs> Yeah, because mm-hmm. I did. Work? It was oh, I'm not sure it did, Albert. But and and Rand and Rice found God. <laughs> and I knew then, that. I knew somewhere in there she she found God. <laughs> so I guess I guess Lestat did too. Yeah, and then the vampires found God. <laughs> so How does the cross thing work? It was it was so convoluted. I can't even go into it, man. Well, that was it. It was. It was all about Christ. In fact, the Antonio Banderas vampire in the book, his character, I forget his name. In the book, he was so touched once he realized the truth of Christ, he walked out into the bright sunlight, smiling with his arms wide open to embrace the truth. Of course, sunlight turns vampires to dust. <laughs> That's yeah. a great book, Sandra. We should do a book club episode just about that book. Right, so he kills himself? It, essentially, Yeah. <laughs> It was okay. He found God. And I'm not laughing at Jesus finding Christ. God. I'm laughing at the concept of a vampire finding God. Seems like once you're a vampire, that ship has sailed. <laughs> you would think, but no. Well, then again, you know, Jesus, you know, forgave the guy while he was up on the cross. So. Yeah. Well, that's, you can tell we're telling the truth because Sandra has gone completely silent. <laughs> I'm staring at my Defenders cover. Thank you very much. <laughs> Your happy place, Sandra. <laughs> that is right. I think they should do a comic word. Namor finds God. He's always finding God, but his God, <laughs> Poseidon. That was a hell of a read there. I couldn't put it down. It's not that the concept grew on me. It's just that I had to see how this train wreck ended. <laughs> how did they get baptized? I, we skipped that part. <laughs> oh, they don't cover the holy water baptism stuff? Okay. No, no, they, they didn't go into that. They just went into the concept and all, but she sure did. Albert, let's talk a little bit. Sandra hasn't seen it yet, but damn, you want to watch something invincible on Amazon Prime. I don't know what to say about it other than if you're not watching it, you're missing out. It's actually the best superhero television show currently. Admit it. Admit it. It's be- admit that it's better than Falcon and Winter Soldier. Admit it. No, I don't think it's better than Falcon and Winter Soldier, I but I, it's remarkable. They've done extraordinarily well with it. It's traditional American animation with a lot of anime style effects. Yeah, well, what they do, like, you can see it in the show. They really cut a lot of animation corners when there's no action. Yes, they do. When there's a big fight scene, that's where all the budget goes. They also use the tricks where they do something that visually grabs your attention, but it's really, really cheap. You're going to watch this for the story. 
and the voice yeah. acting. J.K. Simmons is Omni-Man in this. Goggins, what is Goggins' first name, Sandra? Shane, isn't it? Shane Goggins, yeah. Shane Goggins is Cecil, who's head of the superhero agency, the underground superhero agency. He's awesome. Yeah, they've got name after name after name in this, voices that you recognize. They spared no expense for the cast. This is just a damn fine TV show. It's some of the best stuff Amazon has turned out. Yeah, And Amazon's turned out The Boys, which I watch and enjoy, but I enjoy this way more than The Boys. I've read all the Invincible comic and the spinoffs and everything. They're doing a good job of adapting it without being a literal adaptation. Yeah, it's not a straight They changed a lot of stuff up here and there, but for the most part, the main thing is still the same. They've just done a great job of turning that comic into its own thing in the TV show. Look, if you are watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision, and now you do yourself a favor, go to Amazon Prime and watch Invincible. And they're like four episodes into it, and they come out one episode a week, it looks like. On Fridays, yeah. Uh, New episodes post on Fridays, along with Winter Soldier and For All Mankind. And uh, yeah, everything posts on Fridays. (laughs) If you're you're iffy about Invincible, is it the end of the first episode where they have the big fight scene? Yeah, it is. Yeah, the the end of the first episode, they'll either change your mind or turn you off. But I don't see how that would turn you off. Denise was hesitant in watching it because she's not as, uh, unless it's Disney animation, you know, unless all the money in the world has been poured into it. Yeah. She's not jumping up and down about it because she, when she saw, I was why she said, oh, that's the cheap animation. <laughs> wow. But when she sat down and she watched the whole thing, the end of the first episode is what kept her. She was like, well, I've got to watch the end. They've not answered anything. Instead, they keep providing her with questions. And so she got to the end of the fourth episode and she put it in her personal to watch list. So she can keep up with it as well, because she knows I've got to watch it as soon as it comes out so we can talk about it. Yeah, this is an outstanding show with an extraordinary effort. If you're fans of the comic book, pick it up. It's different enough that it's going to hold your attention. It's different, but it's the same. All the characters are the same in it. They don't. Yeah, they don't deviate from any of the characterization. The storyline has been put through a blender. Don't you think that's a good way of describing it? Yeah, I wouldn't say that they don't necessarily chop it up to death or anything. They just do a different take on it. Another thing Denise said was, isn't the demon detective, that's that's just Rorschach and Hellboy. And I was like, exactly. Yes, the character is Rorschach mixed with Hellboy. I said, you've got that. And she was also talking about the Global Guardians just being the Justice League. And I told her, yeah. And I said, Robert Kirkman makes no apologies for that. He's no. telling a son of Superman story that there's no way in hell that DC would allow him to do. Like I said, if you're watching any of the superhero stuff, then you need to watch Invincible on Amazon Prime. I agree. This is it's just a great show. They went ahead and introduced characters like Battle Beast and things Battle like that. Battle Beast, so, yeah. Because he should. I don't know if they name him in episode four. No, they did not name any of them in he, the four yeah. Episode. You'll know who you're who I'm talking about when you see this character in the comics. He's a pretty large side character in the comics. The Viltrumites, which is what Omni Man and Invincible is, he's one of the few people that can go one on one with those people. I really look forward to Invincible each week. As much as I do Winter Soldier. And I really look forward to Winter Soldier. Aside from the fact that comic book shops are scared to death of uh, the Marvel move away from Diamond and uh, the, the Hollywood... A reporter ran an article on our comic books pricing themselves out of fandom. Other than collecting physical comics, (laughs) 
this is a golden age for comic book material. It's just not coming through the comic books, apparently. Well, we're just going to wrap things up here. <laughs> we'll be back with you later this week with our review and further discussion on Sandra's lesbian X-Men storyline. <laughs> Sandra's lesbian X-Men. Where, where can people go to read your blog, Sandra? Jeez. Your slash fiction. Yeah, I'm really interested in the slash fiction. When I'm looking at this cover, my Jorge Molina. <laughs> Again, take the time to look at the cover for this week's broadcast so you know exactly cover. what she's talking not, about. Not just the Speedo. Good that, Lord. That's, yeah, we, Sandra, just give it up. <laughs> We'd like to thank our sponsors, IVIwatches.com. <laughs> IVIwatches.com, top-notch watches, when they're full on inventory, they have an outstanding selection. The problem is, is that you got to move fast on some of these. Enter the code KINGDOM, get 25% off. Thank you so very much. That's IVIwatches.com. Thank you also again to our contributors, and thank you, uh, of course, most of all to our listeners. Share us with your friends. Let us hear from you. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com, Kingdom Comics at gmail.com, Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us hear from you. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us hear your theories. Uh, we've got a few general emails in that we didn't that we haven't gotten to in the last two weeks that we'll try to make up for when on our next podcast. We do. We really enjoy hearing from you and thank you so much for the listens and the likes and everything. Please continue. Go forward, share us with people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sandra, do you have any last thoughts? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm listening to my dog growl at my other dog. No, any last thoughts? To oh, any last thoughts? I'm sorry. Not any other thoughts? <laughs> no, thank you for listening. Albert, do you have any last thoughts? Uh, no, I do not. I do have a last thought. I'm going to go ahead and point this out because of the reaction on Facebook when I posted that picture of John Walker and the uh, the speech. The speech I gave earlier, it was done completely tongue-in-cheek, and it is the speech from the movie, from Rob Reiner's movie, A Few Good Men. It's the Jack Nicholson monologue at the end of the movie. It just seemed to fit the situation. Don't write me and call me a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, gals, it, it's a joke. I'm joking. It's ca- it's gallows humor. <laughs> I'm not. John Walker did nothing wrong. Oh, you can write him all you want. Call him whatever you want. <laughs> I just hate starting my day by hitting the email and saying the word Stan, you, you fascist pig. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to point that out. All right. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back with you later this week. Sandra, Albert, tell them good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thank you to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Cornelius Burroughs, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Hatcher, Charles Hickey, Ali Marceau, Joseph Koloski, Katrina Olstead, and Angela Pickett. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2021. All rights reserved. Thank you.
getting any beef jerky. 